Welcome to the Workplace Happiness Podcast, brought to you by me, Mark Price, and my platform, Engaging Works, designed to help you be happier at work. Having been the boss of Waitrose for many years and working within the John Lewis Partnership, I became interested in the way that we work, how being happy at work can not only transform an individual's life, but how it can also transform an organisation. So my mission is to get the world a little bit happier at work. In doing so, I've created a happiness survey, which measures and then compares to others how happy you are at work. It's free to take, and you can find out about it at engaging.works. In the Workplace Happiness podcast, I'll be speaking to people from all walks of life about how they work and their happiness at work. From people who've had career changes to entrepreneurs who forge their own career paths. It's all about happiness and how we recognise this happiness at work and all get a little bit happier. In today's podcast, I'm talking to the legendary Ewan, the CEO of Fortnum and Masons. Ewan uh, took over here as CEO about seven years ago. And uh, as we all know, Fortnum and Masons is an iconic British business. Um, it has grown really strongly in um, Ewan's time here, and um, they're just about to open a shop in Hong Kong, uh, so are expanding internationally. Uh, and Ewan, if we just start by talking about your early business life, what was your first job? Well, my first job, Mark, uh, was actually aged 11. I set up my own business in the bakery business. I, um, you know, I was quite a a budding uh, entrepreneur uh, in my early years, and um, I thought, well, how do I make some extra pocket money? And so I, I saw an opportunity to to supply the local neighbourhood with fresh bread rolls on a Sunday morning. So I negotiated with a local baker, and I had the baker deliver bulk bread fresh at 6am on a Sunday, and then broke up all the bread rolls into little bags and did a distribution. And quite quickly, within a year or two, I had six people working for me every Sunday morning. And uh, I, I, I remember one of my earliest memories of um, understanding something to do with um, cash flow and working capital because I negotiated with the baker two-month payment terms and I'd collect the money from my customers every week. So I, I got the idea early on that it was a good idea to get your cash in as fast as possible. And, and but didn't, didn't you think, who is this cocky little <laughs> 11-year-old upstart asking me to supply bread on a Sunday morning? Um, well, actually, I don't know. I remember his name was Mick. He was a real, a real fifer. You know, this is Scotland. You know, he was a, so I think he just saw a, a canny opportunity to sell a few more bread rolls. And what, where did you live in Fife? In Dunfermline, in the west yeah. of Fife, was where I was born and where I lived. And yeah. I spent most of my... Um, upbringing really in, in, in the east of Fife in, in a village called Pitt and Wien, which my, where my grandmother uh, was born and lived and, and where I spent most of my, my childhood growing up. And where did you see the gap in the market as an 11-year-old? Were you sitting at home thinking, there's no bread? <laughs> Somebody should be delivering on a Sunday. Well, do you know, I think, I think uh, it's probably deeply unpopular this for some listeners, but you know, Mrs Thatcher was in government and you know, there was a lot of that banter on the radio and television about entrepreneurship and getting up and going and what was it you know um, was it Tebbit said you know get on your bike and go and do stuff you know so I, I suppose there was just something in me and I loved food of course my you know my grandmother in particular was a great baker and a, and a great cook and so I was around food and and so this idea of doing something in food and then I learned to make tablet which is like fudge Scottish tablet 
And so I started to make my own tablets, and I would sell the tablets to the customers who bought the bread rolls, and, and so on and so forth. And, and um, in fact, we've been working on a tablet recipe for Fortnum's. I think it's going to be called Ewan's Tablet. Oh, very good. Launched in, surprise. Launched in 2020. So our poor customers are going to have to, uh, have to cope with something that I've... That's my recipe. So after that early success, employing six people at the age of 11, <laughs> who I'm sure were all VAT or all PAYE registered, Absolutely. <laughs> um, where did you go next? Well, um, obviously, you know, did my schooling and so on, and, and I was heading, um, I suppose, to did my hires, Scottish hires, like A-levels, and I was heading to perhaps do a business degree at Heriot Watt, in fact, I think is where I was sort of heading, destined for. And my mother read... Um, in one of the weekend supplements all about management training programs at companies such as Waitrose, at Sainsbury's, um, Saver Centre, that was the name from the past, uh, Harrods and, and the like. And so I started, my mother said, well, before you just head off to university and, and do what kind of was the thing that you were channeled to do uh, in a sort of typical kind of middle-class family, um, my mother said, why don't you look at this uh, management training programs? And so I was fascinated and, in fact, went to meet and, and apply to met the people at Waitrose and at Sainsbury and so on and so forth. And, um, and that was around, what, early part of 1989, really, and was very fortunate to be offered a job in, in most of the major multiples as a management trainee. And Sainsbury I chose because it was the one that um, was, a, was in London. The job, the training was actually to be in London. And during my childhood, my parents had always taken me to London to see the theatre twice a year. So my father sailed in and out of the East End of London, and my mother worked in medicine in London. So we knew London quite well. So to be offered the opportunity to, 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 uh, to work in London and to train in London was very appealing. So that's why I chose Jay Sainsbury, and, and that was August 1989, and, and thought... At that moment, that you know, it was it was good to sort of just get on and make some money and and get an on the job training and and how right perhaps I was because my friends at school who left to go to university, of course, graduated in '92 typically, when of course the economy was in a dire straits and they came out of university just not able to find jobs for 12 months, 18 months, and so on, and they were all deeply envious by that point because I had qualified, I'd gone through my training, and I was already on the management ladder within, within Sainsbury's. And tell me now your reflections of those early years. So 18 years old, management trainee, working in Sainsbury's. Which was your first branch? Waltham Cross. Okay. So what are your earliest memories of living, that? Living in Enfield. Um, well, I mean, good and bad. I mean, you know, I remember the six o'clock shift where, you know, you were on the shift opening the back door when the milk arrived and the bread arrived and it was blooming cold. And taking a bus, you know, from Enfield to Waltham Cross it, at 20 to 6 in the morning, thinking, what have I done? <laughs> um, this is uh, not very glamorous. But then, you know, lots of awkward moments like that, you know, filling the potato barrels in the shop, you know, kind of was a hideous memory. But, but, but then, I suppose, not just with the benefit of hindsight and rose-tinted rose spectacles, but I do think those hard graft moments, in amongst all the learning, kind of define you a bit. You know, knowing how tough it is to do some of those tasks, knowing how challenging it is to ensure that the milk is counted in accurately and the right stock's there and the flow of fresh foods get into the chillers, the chill chains protect. But they were all good disciplines, really. Um, 
So I would, I, I would say on balance, you know, more happy moments, uh, but some challenging moments too. And when were you given your first management role? Well, you know, and, and actually because in Scotland you do your A-levels uh, or hires in a year, not two years, I was actually 17 when I came to London. And, and you know, I seem to recall being left in charge of Sainsbury's store of a whole afternoon and evening at age 17 and a half. <laughs> I was always a bit, seemed, everybody assumed I was a bit older than, than I was, which I'm not sure it is even legal to be left with the keys to a shop at 17 and a half. When you couldn't drink. When I could, yes. I'm sure the licensing vote. might have had a or vote. Um, but no, I think uh, I was on the training for, what, 12, 14 months, I think, and then I had my first departmental management role in Welland Garden City, from memory. Uh, in charge of the fresh projects. And what do you remember of that? Your first management role? What went well and what went less well? Well, knowing how um, the team, the staff, the, the, the team members, could they could love you, love you or hate you. And that was all about management style. And I remember a night shift that should have finished at 11.30, or an evening shift should have finished at 11.30pm with the shop full. And I recall everybody leaving at 1130 and yours truly plus a porter still there at five o'clock in the morning filling up because everybody had gone on a deliberate go slow because obviously I had upset somebody by just speaking with a slightly you know ill-mannered uh, comment and word got round saying okay we're going to sh- teach them a lesson and we're going to slow down so that I recall very early on and and I suppose the simple message was you know always be polite and always remember that despite how busy you can be, and I think this is true then as, uh, as it is today, uh, be polite. Always remember that uh, your moment, you know, that you're with someone, uh, can have a huge impact on how they feel about themselves, about the company, about their role. Um, but then, you know, on the other side, amazing great things, you know, especially with customers, you know, the, the banter of local customers coming in and you know, wanting to get their fresh fruits and vegetables. And, and uh, I also have a very distinct memory of a uh, uh, district manager coming in and looking at two passion fruits. And one was beautifully smooth and round and the other was quite shriveled. And he said, um, now Mr. Venters, he said, what's the difference between these two passion fruits? And I explained visually. And he said, no, no, no. He said, what do you think the flavour difference is? And of course, I had no idea. So he insisted that I cut them open. And of course, the flavour was identical. <laughs> Still passion fruit. And, um, and I thought, wow, you know, that was just a, a lasting moment, that, I, that, that, that challenge of know your product. Just don't assume, know your product. So some very early memories, really. And then you've always been a foodie. I think so. I think, I think, as I said, my grandmother, you know, sort of growing up with my grandmother a lot in Pittenweem and the East Nuka Five, where fishing ports, so... You know, we would, we, my brother and I would be down and when, the, when the boats came in and we would, as the, as the, the crates were being offloaded, odd, you know, Dover souls or skate would be sliding off the wooden crates and the fishermen would let us take them and we would go, go up the wine to Grandma's house and she would gut the fish and, 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 and fillet them and, and show us how to cook them. So I think we were just around mm-hmm. uh, food quite nicely. So, I, so it I always, always felt natural that you went to work for yes, a retail. Yeah, exactly. Very natural. Oh, oh, so natural. And so where, where did you go after your first role at <laughs> management role at Welling Garden City? Well, having, having got, you know, being a good communicator, when the bosses came, you know, when the big guys came from head office, the chairman, the deputy chairman, all that, I would be quite comfortable talking to them. 
So I was identified fairly early on to um, come out of the stores and go into head office, into logistics uh, role. So within maybe three years, I was in the head office. And then, uh, at the time, the Sainsbury business had a scheme where they identified young talent in the, in the business to become personal assistant to some of the directors. So I suddenly got a knock on the door by the, the new regional director for the north of England, for Yorkshire and Scotland, who said, um, would you like to apply for the job of my personal assistant? So I was successful at that, headed to, to Leeds, set up a brand new office, uh, became the, the PA to the, to, to the regional director, did that for a couple of years, really learned my craft, you know, uh, live on the job with senior people. And that then led, interestingly, to, become, to be asked to become the personal assistant to the deputy chairman, to a man called Tom Viner. And this is in the era when Lord John Sainsbury was the chair. And, uh, you know, that would be, I would say, my, my university training. Moving back to London, working for the deputy chairman, being around that, mm -hmm. that hugely talented group of senior directors was an extraordinary uh, university-style education. Because, because you were in the business, but you were dealing with politicians, you were in Whitehall, you were you know, travelling the world, you were with some fantastic scientists, and you were exposed to so many elements of business. That was my absolute uh, extraordinary experience. So, so tell us what happened um, post-Tom Viner. I was given an opportunity to either head directly back into the stores as a store director of one of the big shops, or to head into the buying department. And uh, I, was, I was fascinated by the role of the buyers, and I, I chose to go into buying. But he was so he had such a good vision. He said, look, if we send you into the buying office without any, any experience, they'll eat you alive. <laughs> uh, so uh, which area of the business do you want to be in? And I talked about fresh produce again, partly because the fruits and vegetables, I, I had such fond memories when I was a department manager. But... Um, and so he put together an itinerary for me to go and live in Spain for six months and work with the tomato suppliers, work with the citrus suppliers, the peaches and nectarines, the asparagus and so on. And I had a wonderful um, education of learning about agriculture, relationship management, uh, pricing, logistics, uh, the technology, the food science. And, and that really equipped me to come back into uh, London to, to Sainsbury, to, to, to the buying department. And I was appointed the citrus buyer. And uh, back then, uh, Sainsbury had a market share of nearly 25% of the UK citrus market. I think the overall store, the overall business was about 12% at that time, but nearly double in citrus. And um, £150 million worth of citrus was my buying responsibility. Uh, I was the first buyer... Uh, to sell a million pounds worth of citrus in one single day. And so what, what came next? Great success buying citrus. Fun, great success. And then a headhunter out the blue approached me uh, on behalf of a food distribution business called Brake Brothers, uh, now known as Brakes, but it was owned, owned and run by um, three very uh, charming uh, Kent-based brothers uh, supplying uh, the hospitals, pubs, schools, restaurants, trade. And they were looking to appoint their first senior manager who was sort of non-family or hadn't just grown up through the business. And they looked to the supermarkets because, of course, the, the, the term back then, you know, category management was a big expression. So they were looking for the professionalism of a supermarket um, individual to come and, and join their senior leadership team. 
Uh, so age 26, they knocked on the door. I think they tripled my salary, gave me a car, a company car. My gosh, that seemed like a, an enormous perk at the time. Um, and, um, and, I, and I went to see Tom, who was Tom Viner, who was just, I think he had either just about to retire or had just retired. And I said to him, look, what do you think? I mean, I thought my destiny was to kind of try and do what you did, really, which is work your way all the way through to the top. Uh, and he said, Ewan, it's a changing place, uh, Sainsbury's. There's a lot going on. Uh, he said, I think you've done fabulously well to get to the citrus role and, and, and so on. But this is a real exciting opportunity to, to do something in a leadership role at a young age and be paid very well. Um, and so I, I headed off in, in what, uh, May, I think it was May, June to, uh, 1999, into the brakes business. So how did that feel? Did it did it feel mm-hmm. as though you were doing a huge role at a young age, or oh, yes. did you always feel equipped? Uh, no, it felt like a step up, and and so much so, the uh, one of the board at Brakes said, "We're going to keep your age a secret," because they felt nervous that how would it be possible that a 26, 27 year old could come and join the senior leadership team and then the executive board quite quickly, actually. Uh, at, at that age and would some of their perhaps longer serving more traditionally minded employees think well I can't possibly report to somebody in there so we kept it under wraps for perhaps two or three years I think uh, but you know it's a good feeling I think when you move uh, in, in professionally into a space where you feel a little anxious you feel a little nervous you feel it's that edge is that adrenaline that I think drives you on mm-hmm. and, 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 it, and it's a good emotion, it's a mm-hmm. really good emotion and I think it makes you a stronger person and it makes you more considerate and it makes you think through what are you doing and how are you doing it mm-hmm. so I th- um, it was a good feeling and So sure. what came next? What came next? Uh, another call uh, from a headhunter uh, on behalf of uh, Suffrages so the Canadian side of the Western family who themselves were in the supermarket business with Loblaws in Canada, uh, had just bought Sainsbury, had just bought Selfridges in 2000 and late 2003, started to assemble uh, a board, and uh, they had, I think in that very first 12, 18 months, very much focused on fashion, on clothing, and on beauty, and so on. Uh, but they hadn't really tackled their food strategy. So there was a brief out to find uh, a director for food and for restaurants. Uh, Hydric and Struggles, Fran Minogue, there's a tough woman if you've ever met one, you know, great women though, great women, still working to this day, but with her own, uh, her own business. And you know, Fran uh, approached me and I went to meet with her and she openly said, look, we found this ass- uh, assignment quite tough because um, Selfridges are looking for someone who's got food retail skills, but also understands hospitality. And, you know, typically we know that, you know, the, the hospitality catering side of supermarket businesses is pretty much sort of cafe, in-store, you know, it's a very different thing. Uh, but because I'd been now six, seven years at Breaks and was working with the chefs and, and I'd become the managing director of the premium food side of the business, so that I was selling less chips and peas to hospitals and prisons. I was selling more foie gras and, and white truffle to Gordon Ramsay and Marco Pio White, etc. And so I'd gotten to know that community very well and gotten to know the, the key chefs in, 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 the, in the trade. So I'd learnt, and, and, I, and I made it my business to really learn their business and understand how restaurants work. 
So when when uh, Selfridges came along, uh, I was pretty had that balanced skill between the the commercial supermarket retailing side and the hospitality, and was fortunate to join November two thousand and five to um, work for a man called Paul Kelly, great retailer, phenomenal retailer, and um, joined that board as the food and restaurant director, and had a hugely successful time there. Well, we all did. I mean, I did, we did. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was an incredibly strong team, incredibly strong team, taking uh, the the Selfridge business from perhaps a traditional department store model. You know, I think when they bought the business, there was still a coat department and a haberdashery department and so on, into, you know, essentially what we see today, this very dynamic, very forward-looking, very fashion-led organisation. And uh, there I was in the in the in the in the middle of it, you know, battling for 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 the food business and and getting share of resources and share of attention and share of marketing, and uh, most people were very willing to to hear me out. But there was one particular meeting when I had identified that a third of every till receipt that left the Oxford Street store was food or beverage related, was kind of a light bulb moment. You know, it was when everybody around the board went, my goodness, you might only be 8 or 9% of store sales, but you're a third of every single transaction. And it was sort of that moment on that I think the, 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 the handcuffs, if there were handcuffs, not really, but, you know, that came off completely. And the investment came in and we got on and we did some fantastic things. From And what was your biggest learning from Selfridges? Oh, the, you know, the, 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 the creativity. And it was, it was in part of the reason for making the decision to go to Selfridges was not just a, the opportunity to excel, hopefully, in commercial terms, but to really drive my, and put, me, put my, myself under, under pressure to, to drive the creative side of the brain and to bring both commerciality and creativity together. And, uh, and that, was, uh, that, was the, that was the big deal for me. Fortnum and Mason's, the most iconic food-led department store in the world, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how did the move come about? And then talk to us a little about this amazing establishment. <laughs> and, and we're here today uh, just a, a few weeks before Christmas and the place is decked out and buzzing. Yeah, I wouldn't, so, make, I wouldn't make time for many meetings, but for Lord Price, I, I felt it was... Uh, I, I owed it to you, Mark, to have this meeting so close to Christmas. Um, well, you know, 2000, uh, Olympic summer, 2012, is when I joined, but the journey of joining us was started earlier that year. You know, to your, to your summary of forums, I mean, the pinnacle of, of, of food, you know, the, right up there in terms of the, the premium nature of, of the food world, both here and, and, and on the global stage. And, and I thought, wow, this is an opportunity. Uh, and of course, it wasn't just about just about joining Fortnum's. It was also being invited to be the CEO of Fortnum and Mason. And and you know, I think your you, how you summarised my experience at, at Sainsbury's, Brick, Selfridges, it was all building towards the right moment. So that summer, you know, that that, that spring summer was 
interviews and meeting the family and meeting the board and doing various presentations and you know it culminated in 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 the successful uh, attainment of the CEO role and I joined uh, in August 12 and you know what a job seven here we are seven just over seven years later um, in in a glorious business but also institution and not institutional not institution in a negative sense but institution in the sense that it's 312 years old you know I, I am my, I am a steward of this organization for however long I will be here I am I am a mere steward. I'm just the custodian of this organisation for this period of time. And that comes quite a deep sense of responsibility, really, above and beyond the, the P&L and all the sort of business metrics, because it, it would be a sad place for the world and for, for London, for Fortnum's not to be here. Brilliant. So what we're going to do now, Ewan, is um, the Engaging Works uh, Workplace Happiness Survey. Oh, my goodness. And I suspect you're going to come out rather well. Uh, if you can read out the question and then tell us your score. Right. Do you feel appropriately rewarded for your work? And it's, what is it, zero to ten. So mm-hmm. ten is the agree and zero is disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, well I, I mean, I feel very um, happily rewarded, I suppose. I mean, I guess it's one of those questions where, you know, um, to turkeys vote for Christmas, really, because you could always think you could get paid a bit more. But I'll give it a nine out of ten. And has there ever been a time when you didn't feel that you'd been appropriately rewarded? Well, I always, I've been lucky with managers, and I say this to my management team, is, is we've done our jobs, you know, as a manager, we've failed at our jobs if we don't recognise when somebody is not being fairly rewarded. So I always feel slightly disappointed if anybody has to come to me to say, hey boss, you know, I don't think my package is quite right. I think... I think we have a respond, part of our management responsibility is to, is to recognise when people are contributing at a high level. So, yeah, I'm sure it has happened. I know it's happened, uh, but it would be my aim for that to, to really happen. And what about with you in the past? Can you remember at any time in the past when, in any role, you thought, you know what, I'm probably not being paid fairly? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I and can. what did you do? Well, I, I was very brave with, with one particular retailer where I chat I worked for and, and, and I, I went to him and I said look I mean boss I, I don't think my terms are quite right and and I think I was even a bit bolder and I said and which was true of course but that I said I had I said I'd been approached I said I'm not here to resign because I don't want to resign but I had been approached and this is the sort of package that they're offering me and it's available to me and good as gold he took it the right way he he quietly reflected on it a day or two later and came back and made an appropriate adjustment that worked for everyone. But, you know, I think doing that with good grace, with elegance, with a degree of sophistication is a very important thing. But we shouldn't be too British about, uh, <laughs> about never willing to talk about reward because I think it's an important part of the, the value proposition. Right, next. So, are you happy with your working hours uh, you know, I work crazy hours, but I don't consider my day to start and end. I'm perhaps so lucky to be in the food business. So what are your crazy hours? Well, what, how long do you work? Typically, I'm, I'm typically here sort of around 8.15, 8.30. Um, and three nights a week, I will have functions, events, dinners, uh, and home at, you know, I try and get home by midnight. 
um, usually. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a pretty punchy. The weekends, I'm in communication, I'm reading, I'm sending. My team always say, God, not another photograph at the weekend. Because, you know, I'll see a dish, I'll see a thing, I'll see an advert, I'll see a, a, an interesting interview, and I'll tag them and send it. I'm very happy with my working apps. Ten. Um, question three. Do you feel recognised when you do something well? I mean, as a CEO, that's, that's a harder one, because, um, you know, I... Who recognises you? <laughs> the chairman, I suppose, and my chairman does indeed, but you know, she's not here all the time and, and, and with me all the time. So um, I think that uh, I think that recognition in a CEO role is comes from a number of places. It can come from your team, it can come from your boss, it can come from you know perhaps social media or the press or, or your supply base. So and people because I am open, people are open to give me feedback. Good, bad, or indifferent. So, and you often hear the, the the phrase "it's lonely at the top." Yeah, and and and, and I I could understand that uh, actually, not because I particularly feel lonely, but because I make it my business to have a strong network. And I think you use that expression about you know your ability to to convene people. You know, I I take strength, as it were, from convening interesting people and listening to them and learning and, and chatting and understanding. And, and sharing, uh, you know, a glass of wine and, and, and breaking bread. So I think, so I don't feel lonely, but I do understand how, if you are a little introvert, uh, how challenging that could be. I also have a team that I trust implicitly, whom I can say almost anything to, and I know that everything's understood and taken in the spirit that it's meant, and that creates a very open dialogue. So, do I recognise doing something well? I mean, I think it's um, I think it's right up there. So, I'm going to give that a nine. Do you have enough information to do your job well? Well, I guess uh, yes, I do because uh, I think we've got terrific uh, information channels here, and and for all the reasons I've discussed already, talking to people and talking to customers, talking to our supply base, that gives you lots of good information. I'm not a slave to numbers. I always say to young managers. We had a new uh, general manager join a few days ago, and I sat with him and I said, I'll never want to see you with a clipboard. I never want to see you with uh, a sales document in your hand. When, when we chat, I want to talk about the shape of the business. I want to talk about trends. I'm so no, not interested in knowing down to the decimal point what you sold of that line. I want to know what your top ten lines are and what your bottom ten lines are and what didn't sell. But, 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 so I think information is important to running a business, but we equally uh, have to, I think, use a healthy degree of intuition and, and, a, and a, a, as well as good data. And so, a lot of that information for you will come from the experience that you've gained over all the years. Of course. So you've got information about how supply chains work from your time at Sainsbury's. Absolutely. Uh, you've got information about how hospitality works from your time in breaks. So part of you being well-informed is what you've learned along your journey. If you'd been parachuted into the, this job from a management consultancy and you'd never worked in retail, I suspect you might answer that question slightly differently. Different. Yeah, but this is, you know, this is heartland stuff, you know, this business. So, yes, um, I'm going to give that a, a full 10 out of 10. Do you feel information is openly shared with you at work? Um, yeah, I mean, we've got, I've got, 
particularly strong lines of communication with the board and with our shareholders. Um, and uh, I believe we promote a very open culture here. So um, I, I can't think of a single example where I'm not privy or aware of, of, uh, of, of anything, really. So, um, and even people who think that perhaps not telling me everything, I do find out. So I'm going to give that a 10 mark. This is going to be rather dull. I'm going to give you too many 10s, or me too many 10s. Are you empowered to make decisions? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, we have a shareholder, however, and we have a board. So um, uh, good consultation needs to be adhered to. Um, but I'm very lucky that the board and the shareholder believe that the team and I, we make good decisions. And, and I think, um, but there are rules. Uh, you know, there are sign-offs to certain levels and so on. So there's good governance. Um, and uh, in fact, we spent a two and a half hours this morning just talking through governance, especially with Hong Kong. You know, so our local management team down there, have we set the parameters up correctly to make sure that they feel empowered? So it's a very important question. So um, I think uh, I'd give that a 9 out of 10. Um, question 7, do you feel trusted to make decisions? 10 out of 10. And have you always felt trusted? So there's a difference between do you feel empowered, i.e. Well, there's a framework to operate within. I think if my chairman was here, she'd trust. openly say to you, Mark, she said, I trust his judgment. I trust that he will do the right thing by the brand and the business. And that's a... a and and I, 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 even at this level in my career, I, can, I could sit with my chair uh, or the board and start to justify something because I think that you know, it needs a talking through. And they'll, they'll intervene and say, you, you don't need to go any further. You've clearly thought about it. Yeah, 10 out of 10. Do you have the resources you need to do your job well? Um, well, there's all, I mean, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, because I think to do our jobs better here, we need to invest more in technology. And we need to put technology solutions at the heart of our decision making. So I'm not going to give this a, a, a 9 or a 10. It might be an 8, because I think, or even a 7, because I think we're getting better at that. Do we have the financial resources? Yes, pretty much. I mean, really, do, does anybody ever say no to, to having the, the cash to do stuff? But it's more than that. It is about how the cash is spent and where the cash is spent. So I might give that a 7 out of 10 in the context that I think that we can, we can do more. Um, we, we need more different types of resources in order to do, uh, to do the job well. Are you happy with your working environment? Well, this is not too bad here, Mark, is it? So office is quite nice. Um, but uh, again, I'd say, um, am, I, am I, this is me, isn't it? So am I happy? Yes, I am. Am I um, restless about the working environment for all of my employees? Then I would score that quite low. Because, you know, we're not a dissimilar, you know, we're a classic retail business, very shiny, very beautiful to the customers, and a bit less glamorous behind the scenes. Because it's not just about glamour, it's about appropriateness. This is an old building. You know, we have challenges with the number of loos, with the number of meeting rooms, etc., etc. So one of my ongoing challenges as we grow is how do we equip the back office environments to support the organisation. But this is very much, I think, me answering the question. So 
um, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. But if it were on behalf of the organisation, I think it would be more a, a 5 out of 10. Do you feel your views are heard at work? Um, I'm no shrinking violet. Um, so I'm, I'm, that's, yeah, people listen. So views heard at work, I'll give that a 9. Do you feel the organisation cares for your well-being? Uh, yeah, you bet. I mean, in any, 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 uh, any personal scenario in this organisation in my seven years, you know, that I've needed time or family time or, you know, issues, I mean, uh, yeah. And that's part of the family culture. We're a family-owned business, and we promote this idea that family is important. So it's important to, to me, the, the senior team, that, that uh, well-being is, is of paramount importance. And you, of all people, know with the work that you're doing that, they, that, that, that well-being and I suppose even the survey is just all about that, really, isn't it? It's about uncovering that are, are we looking after our people. So very happy to give that a, a 10. Uh, do you rarely, do you rarely feel depressed, anxious at work? Well, never. So it's a ten, isn't it? There's no occasion. <laughs> no, so Christmas that? trading. No, I thrive. Not it. worried. Love it. Could be terrible. It could be the election on the twelfth of December. We your could busiest be, trading we, day online. We could be dead tomorrow, but we're not. Or let God willing, we're not. So no, I am very optimistic about life. I, you know that that's that's leadership. Get on, look, look to the opportunities, respond to the challenges. But, I mean, it's phenomenal. I, was, I just had a, a full well, you know, health check at Bupa last week, and they asked you a similar question to that. And uh, it was no question, do I ever feel depressed? Worried? Not really worried. Aware, aware of the risks, aware of the sensitivities. That doesn't worry me. That's the job. And do you think it's important for leaders to be optimists? I think yes, and I think there's lots of research that suggests that the greatest leaders are often optimists. They also have to have a healthy dose of understanding reality. They have to have a healthy dose of, of pragmatism and, and, and the ability to, to, to plan and to, to consider. But for sure, armies need leaders that can confidently take them to victory. I've, I've always felt that people want tomorrow to be better than today. They want to believe that tomorrow can be better today. They want people to help them make tomorrow better than today. I think it's a basic human desire. But it's, in, it's, it's quite telling, I think, how many people that lead things are prone to talk about all of the challenges and the difficulties. And not explain perhaps that these are a burning platform to do new and exciting things but rather leave it as it's just all very hard mm. so to what extent do you think that an individual needs to create that reality about the need for change but push people on to a more optimistic place about what can be done but make change Optimistic, <laughs> you know, sell the idea that change is a very, very positive thing. And of course, you're you're bang on. Most people resist change, so I think the job as a leader is to 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 make sure that people feel comfortable that change is good. And 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 you know, what can I say? There's that expression, you know, half empty, half full. And of course, you know, I'm I would say obviously I'm a you know half full, not half empty guy. 
my team this morning said, you and you are three quarters full. In fact, sometimes you're spilling over the glass. <laughs> um, and and what's that worth commercially? What, what percentage does that add well, on to your business? That's a canny question, isn't it? We have, for seven years, delivered double-digit sales growth consecutively for seven years. So maybe the answer is in that. While the market struggles. Whilst the market struggles. And yes, we're in you know, perhaps a more premium space, but guess what? It's still tea and biscuits. And, uh, you know, and, and by any company standard, outside of you know, fintech, etc., double-digit sales growth for seven consecutive years, I think perhaps is the difference uh, in sales terms about that positivity. Um, do you, question 13, do you feel you do something worthwhile <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm humble enough to accept that we're not curing cancer, <laughs> you know, and we're not educating uh, in the traditional sense, um, you know, uh, uh, schooling and, and, and teaching people basic life skills. But um, I think we have a really, look, we employ 1,200 people. They all have families, directly employed. We have, you know, 1,000 suppliers who employ hundreds and hundreds of people. 86% of every product we sell in the business across the world is made here in the United Kingdom. Yes, I think that's quite worthwhile. That's creating jobs for communities in Brighton and in Newcastle and in Lancashire and in Leith and Edinburgh. So yes, I think it's a whopping 12 out of 10. No, no, it can only do 10. Do you feel proud? Yeah, 10 out of 10. How likely are you to recommend your friends and family to work at your organisation? Um, well, I, I, it's about appropriateness, isn't it, really? Because, um, of course, you know, not everybody just loves retail. But I think the interesting thing about our business is that we're, you know, we have an event business, we are in the restaurant business, we are digital marketing business, we are retailing. So there's so many skills that... If you have a family or a, or, or, or a friend who you know, is, is super skilled in digital space, then we probably do have jobs for them now. So I suppose that's quite exciting. I'm quite energised at this time of year. Here we are approaching Christmas, Mark, and um, we, we hire three or 400 extra temp staff. And um, it's, it's, I'm inspired by the quality of the temps this year above all years. And um, you know, just how many... Uh, you know, really charming young women and men who are working here, who come from extraordinary family backgrounds, from from European royalty to newspaper owners to politicians' children, um, who very often come by my office just to say, you know, how would you apply, kind of thing. And we 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 openly welcome anybody to apply. And we put them all through the same process. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a great advocate for, for getting as many uh, friends and family of the wider organisation to join. So, 10 out of 10. Do you feel that you're treated with respect? Yes, I do. And I would like to think that that word respect is one of the very, very important. Um, respect and kindness are two really important words for me personally. And, and I would hope that not only do I feel treated with respect, but I treat others too, so 10 out of 10. Do you enjoy your job? I love it. 10 out of 10. 
do you feel you have a good relationship with your line manager? Well, I've referred to our chairman, Kate Hobhouse, who's part of the Western family, who herself has been with the company for, I think, 30 years, um, starting out as the chocolate buyer. So, you know, Kate has a deep love of the business and a deep understanding of the brand. So, you know, we, we, uh, you know as her commercial CEO and creative, hopefully, and, and so on and so forth. But, but having that rapport with my chair, who has a deep understanding of the brand, we, we, we very often um, get to a much better answer together than we would individually. So I think that probably speaks volumes for, for my rapport. So I'm going to give that a 10. Do you feel you are being developed? Um, all right. You know, it's, it's harder the more senior you get in an organisation um, uh, because just by the very nature, you know, there aren't, I don't believe there is a training course to, on how to be a better CEO uh, directly, although I'm sure there's, there's things around the skills of, of the job that one could do if, if that's part of being developed. But um, yes, of course, and, and, and I think you, you have, one has a responsibility at CEO level to find a network of people who help and support that. And I think that I do that quite well. Um, so how after seven years, seven very successful years, mm. do you keep fresh? How do you stop yourself having the seven-year age? Travel, get out around the world. You know, I was just recently in Japan visiting some of our stores out there, but you know, whilst I was there, um, you know, we, were, it, it, we were lucky, I, or I was lucky that um, the business was lucky that um, His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales was in Japan the same week for the enthronement of the Emperor, so he was, uh, he was, it was great, he agreed to come to visit our store, and, and, and so I spent some time with, with His Royal Highness showing him what we were doing in Japan and talking to him, and of course, you know, that's, that keeps you fresh, because, you know, preparing for a visit like that, being able to have time to talk to the Prince about food and agricultural issues and why we're doing what we're doing, with high growth food, for example, in Japan too, you know those those, um, and he's very probing, you know, and that keeps you fresh. So, you know, okay, there's a very high profile example, but at the same week visiting, uh, I was down in Kobe, seeing the beef suppliers and learning about Kobe, Kobe wagyu beef and animal welfare, and and um, the the animals really do listen to to Bach in the in the in the sheds to classical music, so it, it is true. Uh, I'm not so sure. I they... thought it was just the dogs that listen to Bach. <laughs> oh, boohoo! <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, and so I think uh, I think that is how you you know that's part of self development, I suppose. Um, really, so I think that's the sort of confident. I don't know, eight, nine. Let's give it an eight. Um, I'm sure there's more I can do. Do I feel happy at work? Well, I hope this interview has demonstrated that I feel very happy. So that's a straight 10. Uh, what three changes would you improve in your workplace happiness? Hmm. Well, it would make me happier if um, we looked at the... Uh, if we fixed the office uh, accommodation... Um, because I think that the environment of where people work and the the more uh, uh, what's the word the more uh, you know um, friendlier the environments can be, I think would be a good thing to improve their happiness. I think to improve their productivity and the the way we do business. So I think uh, office uh, is an area. 
Uh, I think I've talked a little bit about tech. I think um, being, being more considerate about technology and the role that technology can play in simplifying the way we do business and helping support decision-making and support the way we engage with customers, I think would make an awful lot of people in my business happy. Because uh, there is a, an absolute view, in my opinion, of the younger employer employees who want the reassurance of data to help support make decisions. You know, they don't have the experience that I've got. And even if they did, I think they're just of a different mindset and a different generation that they take great comfort and probably happiness that the decisions that they're making with data would lead to a better quality of business. And I, and I respect that, and I think we've got to do something, um, uh, something around tech. And, and uh, I think the, the, other, the other thing I would, uh, that's, that I'm, I'm pretty passionate about, about workplace happiness, is maybe a factor outside of our business, Mark, which is about transport. I really think that, you know, uh, here we are in London, so it's a sort of mayoral issue, um, but wherever uh, people are located is improved transport, uh, more affordable transport, more flexible ways of getting into major cities is going to become an increasingly bigger issue in workplace happiness. You know, if it's been horrible getting to the office or getting to your place of work, your shop, your restaurant, because the transport is grotty and, and, and expensive and hot and everything else, it, that must have an impact on, on, on happiness at the workplace. So I'm going to write down transport, um, uh, and, uh, and because I do think that that is a citywide issue. Next, there we go. So that's finished all the questions. All oh, right. So now there are a number of filter questions, so that we can so compare you to... Male... What is your gender? People like you. Yep. Mail, next. Now the, uh, the numbers get crunched, mm -hmm. and in typically about 30 to 40 seconds, what we do is we're able to tell you what your workplace uh, happiness score is and also compare it to other people who wow. look like you. There we go. It's working away there. We are crunching the numbers. Marvellous. This is very exciting, Mark. Well, you know that you're going to come out absolutely ripped to high. So there you are, Ewan. That's as long as it takes to get a score. Out of 1,000, you are... 944. So 94.4%. So uh, your, uh, the global score today is... Is 655. So you're massively above the average of people yeah. taking the survey. And then in your industry... industry 650. So okay. you're massively above the industry. And then if you go down, what you get is the breakdown of the six core areas you answer the question on. So reward and recognition, you're 93%. Information, having information to do your job, you're 90%. Um, feeling empowered, 95 which is um, very high. Well-being, 95 uh, You're off the Richter. You're 100% on having a sense of purpose, instilling pride. And you're 90%. Uh, on your job satisfaction. Um, so they are remarkably high score. What I would say is you're probably incredibly well suited to the job that you're doing. <laughs> and then underneath that you have a whole series of matrices which plot uh, this is your um, uh, wellness at work, 
if you scored, you scored 10 out of 10. If you scored poorly off this, you'd go and do the NHS test. Yeah. Um, uh, then this is uh, the next one is all about uh, how you feel about your job, your stickiness, whether you're going to stay or go, and that's uh, stay. Yeah. Then whether you're an anarchist or an apostle, you're an apostle, apostle. for your business. <laughs> and then you, there's a whole host of others, inclusiveness, career development. On everyone, Ewan, I'm delighted to say that you're almost as high as you can be. But you can see on each one where the industry is, also the global averages. So you score, I'm delighted to say, very, very highly. Thank you very So um, I've got uh, a couple of uh, final questions for you. The first one is, if there is a song which makes you happy, what would it be? <laughs> I love that um, Proclaimer song um, about, you know, um, when I wake up. It's kind of a get-up-and-go kind of song. And I suppose they are Scottish, so I'm very, um, I'm very, uh, I'm very um, happy when I hear the proclaimers on, on the Chris Evans show on a, on, a, on, a, on a morning. And then the last question is, if you could listen to one person take this test, or if you could ask one person to take the workplace happiness test, who would it be? Probably the Prince of Wales. Quite intriguing, isn't it? Mm. Whether, whether you could, I mean, a man of your of your distinction, Lord Price, probably could make that happen. Okay. Well, we will we will definitely bear in mind uh, your request to um, ask the Prince of Wales, His Royal Highness, <laughs> to do the workplace happiness survey. <laughs> but but Ewan, can I thank you for your time in the run up to Christmas? Can I wish you personally? Uh, continue great success, but also can I wish you and Fortnum and Masons uh, a wonderfully successful Christmas. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening. And again, if you want to take control of your workplace happiness, go to engaging.works and take the free happiness survey. See you next time.